Hello, podcast listeners. And a day without podcasting is like a day without orange juice. You're listening to the Dare Daniel Podcast, where you send us your most sinister movie dares, and we suffer the consequences for your amusement. I'm Corky McDonald, and I've actually had a Hollywood burn. His name was Ricky, and I'm telling you, it takes two shots from the doc to clear that up. With me, as always, is film critic Daniel Barnes. Hi, everyone. On this show, we do your dirty work by watching the most unwatchable movies you can imagine. And then we review and rate them using our unique system. A run-of-the-mill bad film, we'll give that a dare. The double dare rating goes to those truly atrocious movies, and we reserve the reverse dare. The beautiful, (laughs) hallowed, respected, frame frame it. You want to frame these kind of dares, the reverse dare for those despised movies that are actually pretty good. Today on the podcast, we're reviewing Eric Idle, Ryan O'Neill, and an all-star cameo cast in the 1997 showbiz satire and Alan Smithy film, colon, Burn Hollywood Burn. Yeah, and no one actually dared this, but this I got this idea from a dare that was sent to us by our good friend Ryan L. Terry. He is, of course, the professor of horror. Yes. Uh, he's still working on the doctorate. Still working on the doctorate. He's, he's pro- still, this is... It's an exploratory doctorate because it does not exist. There's no there's no board to certify him. No, he's treading he's, new ground. He's doing it nonetheless. Yeah. Bless Professor Horror, we call him Prof Har for Prof an abbreviation. Har. It's like so Schmied. Schmied. It's just saving time right and left. That's why these podcasts are always like 78 fucking minutes long. Because <laughs> of all the time we're saving. Um, but yeah, da- uh, Ryan dared us to watch Showgirls. Yeah. Paul Verhoeven's... Showgirls, big time flop in its day, mm-hmm. reviled by critics, but it's got kind of a a, a resurgence. Uh, he dared us. He said, "I believe that if Showgirls was released today, with a few tweaks here and there, it would be heralded as a brilliant motion picture steeped in social commentary on humans as commodities and the cost of stardom." And I, I honestly, I agree. I agree, and I've seen Showgirls several times, and I think it's a pretty awesome movie. I think it's you know right up there with. You are a fan. You are a show. Well, I'm a fan of the movie, and I'm a fan of Verhoeven, mm. Paul Verhoeven, the director. Uh, you know, Esther Haas, Joe Esther Haas, the screenwriter of Showgirls. <laughs> you know, he's hit or miss. He's hit or miss. Um, but Showgirls was a layup. It was too much of a layup mm. for us. I felt we de- we demand a challenge. You know what I'm saying? That that was a Showgirls was a rubber stamp, reverse air. And kudos to the professor of horror, Ryan L. Terry. And we support you in getting that doctorate. Yes. Just let us know. Right. If you ever need test subjects, we're right. we're we're there for you, man. Yeah. If you want to run us through some flashcards type of thing where you know we're, <laughs> we're just hold up a flashcard, tell us you know, what bad guy goes to what horror movie, we'll do that for you. Something to help that's you know we're good we'll train with you, buddy. But we demanded a challenge and so we decided to review the nineteen ninety eight showbiz satire. An Alan Smithy film, colon, Burn Hollywood Burn. Since we don't have a dare to read for the movie, we're just going to go straight to the IMDb synopsis for this film. When a rookie filmmaker with the unfortunate name Alan Smithy realizes he's an unwitting studio puppet, being forced to make a big-budget action movie he knows is horrible, he steals the master reels and tries to make a deal. Good stuff. Yes, this week's movie, it's... An Alan Smithy film, Colin Burn, Hollywood Burn. You know, I usually come down on IMDb for having to, you know, they're, they're wrong and there are some, but 
they could have they were they were struggling to come up with a summary for what happens in this movie for a plot or something identifiable like that. So you know what? I'm not going to come down on you this time, IMDb. Kudos. I mean, that one sentence is basically all that happens in this entire movie. If you want to say that things happen in this movie, exactly, Which, that's debatable, and we'll get <laughs> it. Changes it. from scene to scene. <laughs> so. As we talked about in the open, I think it's pretty clear. I mean, like him or not, Paul Verhoeven, you know, he, he to, to all but the most brain dead of Charles, he's some kind of fucking genius, all right? His frequent collaborator, Joe Westerhaus, he wrote the scripts for Basic Instinct. He wrote the script for Showgirls. He's another matter, you know? Yeah. Uh, certainly, Esterhaus, one of the most financially successful screenwriters of all time, born in Hungary, attended Ohio University. His first uh, produced script was Sylvester Stallone's Fist. So Sylvester Stallone paying it paying it forward here by showing up in Burn Hollywood Burn. Esther Haas also wrote movies like Flashdance, Jagged Edge, the two Verhoeven films. He was paid one point five million dollars for a two page outline of Jade. So that's how hot he yes, was exactly. in the early nineties. He, he could just spit on a fucking cocktail napkin and he would get one. At one time he was the highest paid screenwriter in Hollywood and he was a prolific and he had his niche. So it, regardless of the the man is more misses than hits that's unquestionable but he's prolific and he was good at what he well he was prolific at what he did <laughs> for a while he had a lot of hits he yeah. had a bunch of hits in a row but the, by the time of burn hollywood burn he was writing a few bombs in a row mm-hmm. golden touch seemingly gone away uh this one was directed by arthur hiller um, Arthur Hiller directed Love Story, of course. So there's the Ryan O'Neill and the Robert Evans connection. He also right. made The Hospital, Silver Streak, a whole bunch of movies. It's written and produced by Esther Haas. It stars Eric Idle, Ryan O'Neill, Coolio, Chuck D. And as Corky mentioned, an all-star cameo cast that includes Sylvester Stallone, Whoopi Goldberg, Jackie Chan, Robert Evans, Esther Haas himself, Dominic Dunn, <laughs> I mean, Arthur Arthur Hiller himself, Robert Robert Shapiro, yeah, screenwriter Shane Black. It's insane. So the Alan Smithy credit, if you don't know about this, the Directors Guild of America from 1968 through 2000, they allowed directors if they felt that the studio had taken the movie away from them, if they felt for some reason they wanted to take their name off of the film, they could appeal to the guild. And if the guild said, yeah, okay, you can use this official pseudonym, which is Alan Smithy. Uh, it was discontinued in 2000, I think in part thanks to this film. Yes, the they used it on. like a gimmick in this film. Yeah. A well-known example would be a Dennis Hopper movie mm. that came out in 1990 called Catch Fire. Uh, the studio took it away from him. He disowned the film. It came out with an Alan Smithy credit. But two years later on Showtime... Hopper's version aired with his director credit as Backtrack with Jodie Foster, also starring uh, Dennis Hopper. So that's kind of one of the more notable examples. But, I mean, it it happened a lot in the 80s and 90s. But, boy, it's not a really interesting thing to build uh, literally an entire film away from. And Esther Haas, uh, he took the film away from Hiller and recut it. Hiller took his name off and is is actually credited as Alan Smithy. Do you think that's real or you think that was like a... I think most people think it was just a really lame publicity stunt that they cooked up because this movie had no fucking commercial appeal whatsoever. And it's completely forgotten today, but there was like so much buzz for this movie, like weird buzz, not good buzz necessarily, but but all (laughs) it like, I feel like every single issue of entertainment weekly and premiere for months had some sort of a blur. Yeah. 
like Esther Haas was just working every connection that sure. he had. Like a rotting corpse has buzz. Uh, a mound of shit has buzz because <laughs> flies are attracted to it. But it does not make it good buzz. Yeah. And there's just no there's no appeal to it. It's like an insider Hollywood thing, but no. nothing's really all that insider. This is like- it could have just been an hour and a half of Joe Hester Haas grinding an axe. That's what yeah, this movie is. It's, it's basically it's what it one is. man's axe grind that he got a bunch of buddies to be in. So despite all of this lead up, as soon as it was released, just completely forgotten. Eight on Rotten Tomatoes. Came out February 27, 1988. 1998 on only 19 screens. Grossed $45,000 against an estimated $10 million production budget. And this combined with the box office bombs of Showgirls and Jade and Telling Lies in America effectively killed Esther Huss's career. He's only had one more script produced since. He became the first person to win four Golden Raspberry Awards for a single movie. Really? Pictures, screenplay, supporting actor, and worst new star. All for a film that no one outside of his own Hollywood inner circle ever saw or gave the slightest fuck about ever. (laughs) Uh, The film also won worst original song for I Wanna Be Mike Ovitz. Mm. That's just good. Just, ah. Just sharp satire there. (laughs) Corky, a while back we reviewed Rabbit Test, a relentless comedy directed by Joan Rivers. I thought it was pretty interminable. You defended the film. You kind of liked it. I did. Burn Hollywood Burn is, in my opinion, less than 1% as funny as Rabbit Test, a movie that I did not find funny. Mm. So will you surprise me again and defend this piece of shit, or or can we uh, find some sort of a, a consensus, for God's sakes? Oh, we are consenting, consenting oh, adults. God. Yeah, I got my shots from Ricky all cleared up. Uh, this Dan, I laughed twice in this movie, and oh, both once more than me. Both times were not intentional. They, I was. <laughs> I was laughing at how bad it was. Uh, nice. So twice, yeah. Oh my god, this. I, 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 we say this a lot, but I hesitate to say it's a movie. It's just a mm-hmm. series of bad. I hope they're improvs, but you can tell some of it's written. And yeah. and here's where I think Arthur Hiller intentionally did the Alan Smithy thing because this movie, I couldn't see the Arthur Hiller shot or edit or cut that would have been he would have been proud to put his name to. Right. right. This is just, and he's not a bad director. He's he's at least competent. He doesn't make this. So I think that was just like lending his name and doing a gimmick thing. Uh, fuck. There's no part of this movie, not one moment of this very long 80, 74, 80 minute movie. <laughs> 85 minute with, with two very long credit sequences. Yeah. Oh, Over yes. Over 10 minutes of this movie is credits because there's outtakes in the end credits. There's a super long opening credit sequence. I mean, there is so little movie. It's, this is a short film made for like a work party that got completely out of hand. Like, yeah. Completely. <laughs> this is like something you show as a joke on the boss or something like that. Like a good ripping, oh, his golf game. This. It. It. it, it it's not even a good short. I don't. You couldn't really cut together fifteen good minutes yeah. out of Burn Hollywood Burn. There's not fifty good minutes in there. It's so juvenile. It's so ineptly made. It doesn't have any leg to stand on no. as far as like satirizing or commenting on other films or other filmmakers or anyone else in Hollywood. It's like the least compelling story you could possibly tell. I'm I'm for genre bending. 
I'm for new explorations of the medium. I'm for aping and parroting and satirizing. I'm for unlikable characters and unlikable Mm. narrators. This has all of that in spades, and yet (laughs) not one iota of it is any good. No, it's... It's basically, I mean, there's nothing worse than an unfunny comedy. Right. But this is the worst kind of unfunny because it's desperately unfunny. It's insider baseball. This movie is just drenched in flop sweat. And as you said, it's just, it's effectively just Esther Haas ranting, right? Because everyone is yelling straight to camera. So it's just basically, here's an old, out of touch, overpaid Hollywood screenwriter ranting about the industry through various mouthpieces. That's not very compelling. No, this, at all. this movie is it's Esther House, Bob Evans, the characters that Richard Jenny and Ryan O'Neill will be playing, having cognacs and coke bumps and complaining about the biz. And that's what it is. It's a series of these conversations. And it, that's it, they turned that into a movie somehow. A ten million dollar fucking movie. That's I mean, that blows just... my mind. Where is the ten million dollars? Really? Really? I mean, everyone had to be working for scale, right? I mean, yeah, this movie is so cheap. At one point, they say they're like they're at like a playground in Malibu, and there's oh, like, there's like one like set of swings at this playground in Malibu. It's just so it's like a bad. rest stop playground for the kids while you're traveling through L.A. It's so bad. You know, they paid for Sly to open Planet Hollywood for a day just so they could film him there. <laughs> or he's like, I'll do it if you put the logo behind me. Oh, exactly. Oh, man. This movie is... This is honestly one of the harder harder to watch movies that we've ever, ever, ever done. I'm interested in do. what we're going to actually discuss. I, I have... Unless it's all dialogue, because this movie changes every 10 minutes. I don't know. Let's just get into it, man. And now, our feature presentation. So we see the logos for, we're located in the 90s now because Hollywood Pictures logo, the Sphinx, the Synergy logo mm. with the, the big C. This is the 90s. We're in the shit, man. Yo, Adrian. So. Oh, Stallone. Right out the gate, this movie's really? telling you this is going to make no fucking sense at all. No. It opens with Slice Stallone riffing about how he never fucked adrian in rocky so their kid was immaculate conception and laughing to himself and then it cuts to the time it's like what just happened what just happened talking straight to camera yeah get used to that Mm. um so we get a little brief on explanation of the alan smithy credit we then get another screen that says, if the director's real name happens to be Alan Smithy and he wants his name off of a movie, dot, 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 then he is, dot, 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 next screen, fucked. Okay. Period. Good. This is this is like the central yep. joke, if you will, of the movie, and it's a real groaner. This is that this director, he's actually named Alan Smithy. The director played by Eric Idle, is actually named Alan Smithy, and he wants his name taken off the movie, but he can't because the name he used when you take it off the movie is Alan Smithy. What a relatable premise. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what the fuck? I mean, I know it's a mockumentary, but, like, this is Spinal Tap is... at heart relatable yeah. we're all we know what it's like to be past our prime and to like worry about like w- what our place in the world is and to feel that you know what i mean like at the heart of it 
there's something relatable and human. There's nothing relatable or human about any of the characters in this movie or any of the situations. These are all just bullet point, bullet point, bullet point, and we actually do get bullet points. Oh yeah, and this movie, it's like you say, it's a, it's ostensibly a mockumentary, but it, right. it also blends into recapping the things that must have happened that they're describing in the mockumentary. They film that. (laughs) Then sometimes in those recap, they start talking straight to camera as if that's part of the mockumentary as well. As if, if in the moment when these actions were happening, they turned to the camera and started narrating what was happening. And it's not like spinal tap started with a crawl that said, Spinal Tap is a band that's been around for a while. Their 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 popularity's ebbing. Um, <laughs> it's gonna fuck with them a little bit because oh my god, that happens. Or the, you see that crawl about the Alan Smithy thing. The first time you see Idol, he's at a fucking ten, going loony, right. and then that's just him for the next forty five minutes. Is he's crazy? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, the movie, boy, it starts with some real weird rhythms. Like you said, we get the blackout bit with. Stallone. Then we get the whole Alan Smithy bit on the thing. Then there's this like super three or four minute long yeah, opening credit four sequence minutes. with slow zooms on really bad graffiti art. I got it. I mean, this was you didn't like it. Pretty. I did not like I it. I was a fan. Oh boy! But I mean, the movie just lingers on it in a really weird way. In a weird and way, I mean, it has no nothing. Nothing from what you just saw would set you up to think, okay, here's why this is being shot on graffiti walls. Right. So then four minutes later, whole, a whole song later. Yep. Oh, in the soundtrack. Sy- oh, my Sylvester God. Stallone, Whoopi Goldberg, and Jackie Chan, who all turn around with giant guns and say, don't fuck with me. Then they all say together, don't fuck with us. And they shoot their big guns. Yes. They, I mean. This, okay. There you go. Where so are we? What is happening? Who knows? We're on a movie set. We're shooting the movie Trio, which is this very obviously star-heavy action movie. It's really Stallone, Goldberg, and, and Jackie Chan. The movie does not seem to be about anything. Nope. Which I, I, I'm guessing is intentional. <laughs> it's guessing maybe that's supposed to be part of the joke. But also, like, there's this whole thing through the movie of like Alan Smithy, like the idol character, He's, I mean, is he a hack? Is he not a hack? No. Is he fighting for something? He's, is he not fighting for something? He it's seems just... to be the only true artist. And this is about how Hollywood spits out and treats and chews up these artists. Exactly. But how in the fuck did he ever get to this point? He's supposed exactly. to be like the naive. This is his first movie. He's the innocent who believes in art. It's Eric Idle. He's pushing 60 right? when this movie is made. How is this his first? How is a $200 million action movie his first movie? <laughs> like, just the concept of it doesn't make any sense. And how how could you get to that point in your life and not know the significance of the name Alan Smithy? Or or be able to deal with the egos of people like Stallone or Goldberg because he, he gets walked on immediately. How would the Directors Guild even, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the Directors Guild has heard of Alan Smithy. Why well, did they just let him in under yeah. the name Alan They're like, Smithy? Look, that doesn't... Yeah, in Hollywood, a play, place that's infamous you have for to, like, not changing your name. Like Michael they... <laughs> Keaton's actual name is Michael Douglas. He had to change it because there's a Michael Douglas. Exactly. That's how it works. Paul Thomas Anderson, Paul W.S. Anderson. You don't get to do that. People don't know this, but Joe (laughs) Esterhouse's real name is Orson Welles. People don't know that. (laughs) But yeah, Idol. Okay, so they they shoot this scene, which just is terrible. 
the don't fuck with me scene. Yep. And then Eric Idle as the director is like, let's shoot one more. And they're like, <laughs> what? No, we're not going to shoot one more. And he's like, I think it could be better. And the stars are like, no, we're not going to do it. Ryan O'Neill is producer James Edmonds. He defends his stars. And Stallone actually says, you don't get the camera out of my face. I'm going to Sean Penn your ass. Yep. In a very <laughs> uh, recorded later line. Yes. Uh and then also you get the starts of a lot of these like introductory uh, crawls where we find out who these characters are, what or at least their names, and then it little descriptive bullets, the little bullet point kind of things. I get. See, this is the thing: is like it, the movie seems to be arguing that if Alan Smithy was just allowed to do one more goddamn take or cut a shot like a half second earlier or a half second later. That the movie would be fine, maybe. I, <laughs> like, I, yeah, it, like it's just like it can't decide like what it's about. No, or what yeah. it, like scene to scene. Yeah. So anyway, Alan Smithy, he's a frustrated director. Audience, we see the preview for Trio plays in theaters. Now there's a narrator. Nope. The tri- there's a narrator who, who tells us the movie was never seen. The- because, like. It, we're, in is, we're in an we're audience. We're in an as audience. As the film is recording, the audience watching the preview of a trailer of a movie that did not is not there. With the, the narrator is like, yeah, nobody ever watched this movie because the director yep. stole the print, and now here's the story of what happened. Of course, the narrator just told us what happened. Are we in the movie now? Are we what? Are we in the audience watching this movie of the movie that didn't right? get made? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So after all of these four or five different like, you know, head fakes of like, what the hell is this movie going? Moving forward, basically it's a mockumentary. Yes. It's just a mockumentary. I don't know. This is a, like, everyone's going to be talking straight to camera in almost every scene note. So this is like the worst movie convention of all time. So terrible story. Oh. Told in the most terrible way possible. And, but they try to cheat by ma- breaking up into acts. They give you like these title cards that say act one, act two, and they're all sex positions or sex reference. Yep. Here's one thing I find kind of figured out Esther House doesn't like women uh, no. or objectifies women and tries to make comments on it at the same time. It doesn't work yes. in this movie at all. Not so much. Not so much. Yeah, this movie, it's it's just funny how much bile is in oh. this movie and how little it really like challenges the status quo at the same time because all the stuff it's referencing is like Robert Evans and the fucking 1998 Robert Evans. Really. <laughs> yeah, this is this is not Chinatown Robert Evans. This is the two, <laughs> this is the two Jakes Robert Evans. He's a dude ran Paramount, man. I mean, come on. Oh, but anyway, yeah. So now this is just a straight up mockumentary. Okay, so there we go. So now this is where these bullet points start. So we meet Jerry Glazer, president of Ch- Challenger Films. He's played by Richard Jenny. Speaking of the 1990s. Yeah. But, I mean, the movie is just rife with issues. But here, here's an issue. Why isn't Alan Smithy the protagonist of this movie? The, this movie doesn't know what the fuck it's doing. That's why. <laughs> why do Richard Jenny and Ryan O'Deal have most of the screen time? Why are Coolio and Chuck D the second and third build people in this movie and they don't show up until 45 minutes in the movie? <laughs> oh, it's amazing. Anyway, um, so yeah, uh, much like the crow colon Wicked Prayer, we get all of these stats on screen, all these bullet points on screen. So uh, Jerry Glazer, we find out, is moron, yeah. liar, yep. wimp, nickname, dash, dash, dash. Don't know why they needed the third dash in there. Nickname, dash, 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 the dwarf. So Hilarious. Yep, hilarious. He's a studio head, right? 
So, so Jeffrey Katzenberg, Katzenberg in exactly. other words. Yep. Yeah. Geffen or Katzenberg. Uh, the only thing that like is is a through line through these, every one of those about the important men will say slept at the White House. Everyone ab- or want wants to sleep at the White House. Everyone right. about the women will say feminist. It'll, it'll feminist. straight up call them bitches, yeah. uh, whores, and then feminist. <laughs> Good stuff. This is also where we hear the hardcore song, I Want to Be Mike Ovitz yeah. by Magic Kingdom. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> Holy crap. Um, so, yeah, everyone's lamenting. The, the studio guys are lamenting Trio. It was a $200 million action movie. It had big stars, and the critics loved it, and the critics loved he it. He hammers that. We jump back to England at the Keith Moon Psychiatric Facility. Get it? Fucking dumb. Yeah. Fucking dumb. Keith Moon? Yeah. Wow. A, you didn't even want to go for a 90s reference? No, there? that's topical, man. That's that's a reference they all get. <laughs> Alan Smithy, director and hero. That's what his credit says. Uh, we officially meet James Edmonds. This is Ryan O'Neill, award-winning producer. Um, he's... I mean, God fucking A. <laughs> There's a whole running bit about how he doesn't eat meat. He doesn't eat meat anymore. He's like, I pasta. don't even eat meat. I eat pasta. I'm a pasta guy. What? Yeah. What is that? That gets like eight or nine references. Oh, uh, they didn't throw anything out, I don't think. I'm a pasta guy. Oh, no. Oh, fuck no. Fuck no. Yeah. At one point, they, they, Somebody, some sort of information is dispensed, and then they cut to a Lakers game with Richard Jenny. Yeah, and he says almost exactly the same thing, but it was obvious they were like, "We're not cutting this." Nope. That, we took that took a lot of logistics to get a, to get into the Lakers game. I had to call it a lot of favors. I got get that thing. Also, we're eight, 85 minutes with like ten minutes of credits and outtakes. Like fuck, barely a movie. Barely a fucking movie. So yeah, we meet James Edmonds. He's just a slick, you know, huckster of a producer. He's getting blowjobs. Yeah. And he doesn't eat meat. He eats, uh, pasta. He's a pasta guy. Um, Very violent man. Yeah. Dumb jokes. Stallone. Superstar. Oh, brain boy. surgeon. Rocket scientist. Hilarious. Uh, cameos, cameos, cameos. Shane Black. Uh, Joe Esterhaus. Billy Bob Thornton has a cameo. Yeah. It's all a whole lot of who f- gives a flying fuck, right? Because the, the all- targets, yeah, they're so easy. It's so easy, and there's nothing new here. They're, exactly. There's not much information that they're giving us, and it's just repetitive, but it's different views of it. And the way they're doing it is Stallone, Chan, and Goldberg are all taking the piss out of themselves, kind of making themselves yeah. very important divas. The only one I actually believe isn't doing parody is Stallone. I think Stallone is just being himself. Like, he thinks he's hilarious. He thinks this shit is funny. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. This is when he said a day, it's like a day without orange juice, with, which I just thought was such a weird, what? like, what does that mean? What? Yeah. But basically, the, the satire comes down to this. In Hollywood, producers only care about money. Agents are slimy and they're status obsessed. Actors are egomaniacs. Directors are crazy. The media is it's slime balls. The media are slime. They're yeah. I mean, it's just so easy. It's just an old man ranting. There's nothing interesting about it. Like on on a, a superficial level, there's certainly nothing interesting in how it's being like presented. I mean, it, it's just it's this is lazy. Yeah. Lazy oh yeah. Satire. And we should speak about it. The, the speak for the visual style of it. Just Ooh. think, people shot at chess level 
You yep. get their head. They're all doing something while they're talking to camera. They're either working out. They're getting yep. a car at Spago. They're in their office. That's they're it. Bulgari. They're doing some kind of work. Yeah. And so many of the shots, because there was, I mean, again, the, the idea of doing the movie like this, I mean, this is like a, the existential issue of this movie. Why? Why is it more interesting to have people talk about things that happen yep. rather than actually see what happened? At one point, Fucking Alan Smithy says that he jumped out of a window, and he's just like, that, wouldn't it have been interesting to see him jump out of a window, for God's sakes? The, like, instead the it's crux just, of the movie is it. that he burns his film. We don't even get that. We get him going to the La Brea Tar Pits in a union suit, setting stuff down, and then they just talk about what he did. What the fuck? Why Why would you have a documentary where when you're doing the documentary, someone is praying, someone is actively praying while they're talking to the camera or posing for a model shoot for Bob Evans. It's like, what is happening? It's just the idea. Yeah. It's so everything now is just people saying what happened. Yeah. But us not actually seeing what happened. Who, who it's is just the, like, yeah, that, I'm sorry. It's my big problem was like, who is the reliable narrator? I, yeah. I'm fine with untrustworthy narrators, but you don't usually have everybody being an untrustworthy narrator of events no, we don't ever know actually happened. And they'll be arguing back and forth, right? Mm-hmm. Because someone will just like some Ryan O'Neill will say something while at Bergari, and then all of a sudden Eric Idle's in the insane asylum at the Keith Moon psychiatric facility, and he's like, "Those are lies, bloody fucking lies," yeah. you know, like he's reacting, to, but like. What fucking documentary crew is this? <laughs> like, like, did they have the to documentary go... crew also shot flashbacks? <laughs> they didn't shoot everything in one day with a single person. They kept hopping back and forth between continents, getting rebuttals. <laughs> but they'll try to, they'll try to, like, you know, they're obviously like, okay, everything's just talking heads. Like, we can't. This is a ten million dollar movie. We got to do shit, something. Yeah. So, like, shot will constantly start on somebody's feet, like, oh. like while they're watching, and then it'll come up to their face, or it'll start on they're doing something with their hands, and it'll move up to their face, like, or they're in a chair and fit with their back to the camera, and they'll flip around really quick. Yeah, <laughs> say, like, it's just like it's just it's desperate. The feeling of just desperation and trying, trying without making any attempt whatsoever to make people laugh is just. It's palpable throughout this. And as we said, no one is ever established as like an actual real character. They're all just these bullet points. Yeah. They're all just like cliches with a series of bullet points and nothing's insightful. For example, we meet Alan's wife, Myrna, uh-huh. Myrna Smithy, wife, mother, bitch, feminist. <laughs> we also meet uh, Wayne Jackson. He's an African-American. He's the assistant director and Oreo. This is what the fucking credit. This is what it I says didn't even catch screen. that shit. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's just it's it's bilious and yeah. it's just caustic, but it's not funny and it's not satirizing anything. This is just an old, inexplicably angry man. Because my God, does Hollywood make him like rich and famous beyond his wildest dreams? It's- I mean. Jesus God. The soundtrack for this movie is also just obnoxious, and it was, yeah. I guess, put together by Estras asking a bunch of unknown bands, unsigned bands, to send them demo tapes. They listened to thousands of tapes, and he picked some of his favorites. It, the music goes from diegetic. Are we in the world of the documentary, or are we actually listening to the soundtrack? <laughs> right? I, oh, boy. I mean, well, it's all bad. That's uh, That's the common thread there. 
So we find out Trio. Trio was set to open in 7,000 theaters. This movie had just had hit written all over it. I mean, even though in 1998, Stallone was already moving into like the straight-to-video market. Yeah. Whoopi Goldberg was not exactly... Oh, no. Jackie. This is not a, a $200 million movie starring those... A $10 million movie featuring those three bombed like nobody's <laughs> business. You really think you're fucking safe with a $200 million? But okay, let's just go with it. Yeah. Let's go with it. This was a This was a hit. But Smithy thought it was pure shit. Did he think it was pure shit because it was just pure shit? Because it seems like this was just pure shit from moment one, right? We, t- we get a little bit of the screenwriters talking about this movie. Like, no one seemed to have any idea or concept for this movie whatsoever. It was all just the product of, like, committee, f- uh, you know, filmmaking, just somehow shepherding a-, a property to the screen without any kind of, like, substance or any reason for actually existing, which certainly happens all the time. So was it that, or was it just that he didn't get Final Cut? Because there's a whole fucking thing about Final Cut. Yeah. As though that really would have been the the difference maker here. But basically, the studio takes over the movie, and Smithy says, it's awful. You've sodomized it. I felt... As, I mean, again, I like... Felt the, very if he bad had got, Eric Idle in this movie. Oh, I did too. He has nothing to work no. with here. And they obviously were just like, go bigger, go bigger, bigger, yeah. bigger, Seeing bigger, Itsy bigger. Bitsy Bitsy Spider for a while. Woo! But yeah, is Smithy supposed to be competent? Because like, would would at getting that one more take of them saying "Don't fuck with us" like that would have like then he would have been a real filmmaker. I mean, this movie, it's clear Esteros has no idea no. who the fuck a real filmmaker is. He has no idea why some of his movies are great hits and some of them are terrible. Well, guess what? It's the fucking director, you dummy. Anyway, so here we are. We're back at the central. Heavy quote marks joke alan smithy he wants to take his name out the picture the studio has taken the name of uh, taken the film away from him they've recut it but he can't you see because alan smithy is the name the directors use when they want their name taken off the picture it's dumb it's dumb it's pointless and it's not grounded in any kind of fucking reality even it's just dumb yeah and but that's it that driving a lot him of other insane is the yes. weirdest thing Right? Why would that? Why would that? Right. I mean, this this could not have been the first time anyone was like, "Oh wow, he never got a, your name a is also note? then <laughs> right." Like, hey, fun fact: <laughs> Did you know that like <laughs> when people hate a movie, they put your fucking name on it? It's hilarious. Maybe try another name, Alan. God. Whoo. Okay. So, Alan. I mean. Let's just talk about a non-character too. Alan Alan Smithy. He's into Tibet yeah. and Tanzania. It's... He carries a magic rock. He carries a magic stick. He says, "Let's contemplate Tibet." I mean, it's just like what? He, what even is this? He's always wearing like jungle explorer clothes. He's got. He's in a. A lot of his scenes are filmed inside of what's supposed to be a psychiatric ward, the Keith Moon psychiatric yeah. ward. Jim Piddick is sitting in the background. Naomi Campbell is sitting in the background. They're the right. two nurses that watch him the entire time. I mean, Jim Piddick is a classically trained Broadway or not Broadway, but uh, you're a British stage actor who's a fantastic improviser. Naomi Campbell. Yeah, she's gorgeous, but they're given nothing. It's just like, if you don't know that's Naomi Campbell, is that even a joke? Right? Well, what I mean, what's even there? Yeah. Mm-mm. Um he says I had to stop reading War and Peace. What is I don't get I don't what Bro, are these, these none of this like Rabbit Test is an onslaught of jokes. This is an onslaught of not jokes. They're, like it's a 
what even if why War and Peace? He says Cossack. I love my rock. Cossack becomes a Cossack. automatic punchline for what? about half this movie. Why is that funny? I don't know. Um, his wife Myrna, she's back in England. She's living it up. They keep cutting back to her. Um, James, so that's Ryan O'Neill. He wants to get this movie made. He he sees Alan's under a lot of pressure, so he sets up a prostitute. This is pretty gross. She kisses his stick. Yeah, his magic stick. She kisses it. Just the whole concept. This whole part of it is just that these Hollywood producers, and I'm not saying this isn't factual, but the Hollywood producers and uh, studio heads use these young starlets. Yeah, just to you know, they pimp them out. Uh, Esther House is writing this, and when you take all of this into account, that a big part of this movie features Harvey Weinstein. Yes, it's like yeah. okay, I see the POV. No. It's coming from inside the house. <laughs> That's very accurate. Yeah, no, this movie, I mean, it's a real rogues gallery, for God's sakes. You know, I mean, it's a real, uh, there's a lot of bad men in here. But yeah, uh, Harvey's obviously the worst. There was, uh, yeah, oh boy. Well, I... But see, this is how you know these guys are unreliable narrators, because we see them doing these things. They say they're doing those things. And then when point blank asked, the Ryan O'Neill character is like, no, I'm not blackmailing. I'm not into that Harry Cohen shit. Right. Okay. That's supposed to be a reference that people in Hollywood would get, but everybody knows exactly what that is. Yeah. And this is where the, the arguing back and forth comes in too. Anytime somebody says something, the other person will say that they, that the other person's lying. Right. So there's all this like, and and it's all happening while they're yelling straight to the camera about things you couldn't care fucking less even, about. Even I mean, this when is there's like, two of them there together, they're arguing back and forth about the events yes. that transpired. Uh, Robert Evans makes his first appearance. He is less intelligible than Sly Stallone, <laughs> <laughs> honestly. But he's playing off his good old-fashioned Cradle Robin skirt chaser daddy. Oh, it's so skin-crawling. Oh, if only his skin could still I know, exactly. It's not just because he looks like a lizard. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, we find out, guess what? Alan Smithy, he stole the print. He stole the print to Trio. Gasp! They already told us that. Yeah. Like a like uh, a lot. They told us this is the whole movie. In the, this is the whole movie. In the fake trailer for the fake movie, we they said that the he stole it. Before we even got into any of this. Who made a trailer for a movie that was stolen? <laughs> Why did you make the trailer? Why would you do that? How would you do that? When and where and why? Dude, what do you tell the audience? Like, not coming soon? <laughs> <laughs> this movie has not yet been rated because we don't know what it looks like? <laughs> so the, the ah, they'll say something like where the fuck was he they're like and in a really vexed way of like where was he where was he but at this point they know where he exactly. was right yes like why are you so like upset you know what like ah. and every time something like this happens you just like again it comes back to Why'd they structure the movie this way? Why'd they make it a movie about a bunch of people telling you things that happened instead of just showing you what happened? Yeah. Showing you, we start off, he's a young director, he's naive, he's brutalized by the system, he shoots his movie, he's kept down, they take it away from him, he wants to take his name off, he runs off with him. I mean, just or, tell it as a normal fucking exactly. movie. Exactly, or right? in one of those interminable talking heads, you you touch on any of that. They don't touch on any of that. <laughs> they really don't. They just repeat all these events that didn't. Where we're never going to treat. All right, I think we've hammered that point home. So, yeah, Harvey Weinstein, he's in this thing. 
again, I mean, skin crawling all yeah. over the place. He's Sam Rizzo. He's a private investigator. Doing a Jack Webb type him. thing. Yes. So he's hired to track down Alan Smithy and get Trio back. Of course, but he's just telling us that he was, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. he's just telling us this straight to camera and not doing any of it. So, um, But if we didn't get enough of a recap... How about some news reports on all of these things that we already know, we're told about, then we're told about and told about and told about and told about. The media bullet points, hyenas, maggots, sluts, lowlife, scum. Yeah. There's uh, pretty cheeky reappropriations of such publications, including the New York Slimes, (laughs) News Leak, and my favorite... Rolling phone? What well, yeah. does that even mean? Like what? <laughs> they just could not think of one. They're like, ah, rolling phone. Ah. Good print. Go. So <laughs> this 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 movie wasn't unbelievable enough. Alan Smithy is now like the top news story in the world. This director stealing the Sylvester Stallone Whoopi Goldberg movie that everyone's just dying to see. This is now top news around the world. Alan Smithy is world famous. He flips around in his chair as the camera zooms in. He says, I saw myself on the bloody telly. At this point, at this point when he's the famous the world over for being a director named Alan Smithy, you can now go, hey, normally we would say we take our names off this and give it to Alan Smithy, but I'm Alan Smithy, the most famous director in the world. This movie's directed by John Bon Jangy. I don't know, some <laughs> other name. Oh, I mean, right. Uh, Jesus, God. Uh, so this was the one time that I, I actually sort of chuckled a little bit is Robert Evans is he's watching some old footage of himself yeah, in the 70s I love that but footage. then he turns he turns around in his sofa and he's holding a pair of sunglasses in each hand <laughs> I, I I chuckled I, I didn't chuckled even ca- I didn't even catch it yeah just like he's got like t- one one it's the same sunglasses but he got one in each hand so did that's I have kind of funny did I have two sunglasses you bet I did did I need them <laughs> you bet I didn't <laughs> So uh, the prostitute, you remember her? She's in church. She's in church praying, and she's a prostitute. It's hilarious. Yep. She's she's kind of falling for Alan now because he's so unlike the men. Yeah. Like, okay, sure. I mean, I I guess I believe it if he's not like a complete just like fucking ape. But But it's like a... Also, he's, he's famous now, and so she's, you know, she's... Chasing fame. But she also uh, would have, in, in the events she's describing, happened in the past. So this, she had already, the first time we met her, she would have had been falling, fell for him. Exactly. In fact, they would have been together. And she says, Alan stole the film. That is not good. That's bad. What? This is the fucking movie. Yeah. I mean, and then <clears throat> this is where Jerry, Richard Jenny, is at the Lakers game and tells us something that we already knew. But of course, they weren't going to cut that. Out of the movie, we get Ryan O'Neill yelling, batshit, batshit. It was top of the fucking news. I mean, everyone is like swearing like uh, Wolf of Wall Street, you know, <laughs> sailors. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if, if, Truck if, drivers if, with Tourette's don't swear this much. Right? And it's all so bad, too. Yeah. It's just not funny. 
you uh, want to talk about King. dated jokes. Uh, Larry King. Uh, Here we go. As a dated oh, reference. But OJ gets brought up. And every time they bring up Whoopi Goldberg, they have to talk about Ted Danson. Ted it's a, Danson? The Ted Danson Whoopi Goldberg. I didn't think thing. they were still together. I, exactly. <laughs> That's so old. Um, yeah, Larry King interviews Smithy. Smithy's completely bonkers. He's just cackling like the Joker. He screams, burn, Hollywood, burn. He screams, OJ did it, didn't he? He makes the Marlon Brando reference. I mean, this it's it's like again, this is all like stuff from late night yeah. monologues from three or four years earlier. Right. But instead of jokes, just saying it. it like there's no actual joke. And there's here. no there's way no Larry punchline. King was actually responding to what Eric Idle was saying. Like there's oh, no, no connection in between. Like, Shrug your shoulders, shrug yep. your shoulders, look around, yeah. Um, we'll Eric Heidel's like, well. dancing Edos. Uh, <laughs> just fucking <laughs> Ford Bronco. Um. Yeah, um, but all the while, Smithy, his outlaw fame is growing. Um, what? Ryan what? O'Neill, what? Ryan O'Neill <laughs> says, this guy was more popular on the Rush Limbaugh circuit than Heidi Fleiss and Hugh Grant had been. Like, he just threw like a fucking... Like a fucking <laughs> tossed salad of like mid '90s fucking references there. <laughs> what was this scene where they went bungee jumping? Like, right? What, like, what was this? What, did they know, did they think like, it's be funny if we went bungee jump because we were working out earlier doing our things? Now we're bungee jumping together, and it gave it gave him a good chance to start a shot on uh, yeah. different shoes, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and then pan up to their faces. <laughs> oh fuck yeah so they make an appeal to alan on the news alan please return the movie please please it's all you know it's all for show um now we meet stagger lee uh-huh. eater and feminist this is a black man uh he's an actor but what he's really? eating soul he's food an actor this is los angeles everyone's an actor mm-hmm. lame fucking lame also <laughs> What cameras filmed this interaction? I don't know. That they have to, like, This is where I'm talking about some it. of the times they, they were watching what the actual events that happened, and it, it is in the most <laughs> organic way where he just walks up, hey, you're that guy. You're holding your stick. I like you. Let's be friends. <laughs> That's it. That's it. So Smithy now gets involved with this, like, group of underground black filmmakers uh the Af- they are the fm gorilla film family <laughs> yes that's what they're called they are led by the brothers brothers uh-huh leon and dion brothers now this is a hughes brothers joke right it is and i believe the the original i remember reading this at the time that he actually wanted the hughes brothers to play these parts uh-huh the hughes brothers um, and the hughes brothers are thanked in the credits so they they may have been they may have been but they smartly them. demurred on uh it's like uh, you know what i think we could um but yes these guys director motherfucker dude mm-hmm. cool Badass. I mean, fucking hey, this is like a sixty-five-year-old Hungarian man, like trying to fucking be. This whole the now the whole <sighs> third act of the movie becomes about the brothers brothers re- befriending Alan Smithy, and now they're in it more, and f- fighting for it. Yes, yeah. All this is of where this... we also start getting all these Cossack. Jokes. Yeah, everything's Cossack. This Cossack that. I don't get it. Um, and it doesn't help to have 
Chuck D uh, made one of my f- most favorite albums of all time. Uh, a-, a couple of them. Uh, sure. Not an actor. Uh, not much. Coolio. I don't sure. enjoy any of his music, but not an actor. No. Not and they're so carrying much. a lot of this movie now. Uh, but all of it is worth it just to hear Eric Idle say collard greens. <laughs> collard greens. That's <laughs> stuff. And we also get Alan Smithy uh, narrating. Yeah. Or, you know, delivering his whatever to the documentary crew while on the toilet. Right. I mean, this is just edgy, yeah. edgy humor, right? He's sitting on a toilet. A toilet! Do you get it? The only tiny aspect of this movie that even slightly worked for me, and it's only now kind of in retrospect, so I might be able to be talked out of it, is this kind of, there's uh, a couple scene balance between the Ryan O'Neill, Richard Jenny world of caviar parties, where Mm. if it's not beluga, they're not going to eat it. They don't, you know, they don't flush after they piss in, in the urinals. And the Brothers Brothers level that they're making movies on for the love of the game. So, and it's not even anything implicitly spoke about, but it just kind of reflected that. That was the only part that I'm like, I see what they're doing and it kind of worked for me. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think that's essentially what he's going for, but it, it just, none of it really comes through. And and again, in part because like, are the brothers brothers actually good at film? Yeah, we you're never, right. We have no fucking You're clue, right. right. All they, all anyone does is talk, yep. talk, talk, talk about what happened. About what happened, and then we get bullet points saying, "Here's how you should think about this person." You're right. Literally bullet points on screen. These guys, cool, badass, motherfucker. These guys are cool, yeah. right? Like it's, it's we like know it's they've bad. made two movies, and some people don't like the second one. The <laughs> so Ryan O'Neill at one point yells, "Don't, don't, don't ask me about the brothers, brothers." Why? We later find out, like, when the movie ends and presumably when all of these, you know, straight-to-camera testimonials were taken, that they're in business together yeah. and making a movie. Why would, like, why don't ask don't ask you about the directors of the film you're producing? Like, it's just when you have none of this every, cuts Every together. take is aggrieved and uh, at mm-hmm. 10. It doesn't yes. work. No. Oh, so best thing to come out of this movie? It made me rewatch The Third Man. Oh, there you go. The Brothers Brothers and Alan Smithy are watching The Third Man. There's a lot of talk about it. And this is like the indication that the movie thinks that Alan Smithy really is a great filmmaker. Sure. Is that he appreciates The Third Man. It's like, what? Low bar. Yeah. Who the fuck doesn't like The Third Man, for fuck's sake? And the, like, how, what, what monster? The underground filmmakers don't even like him until they find out he took his own movie. And they're like, that's gangster. It's like, they're not even fans <laughs> of his work. So is he good? And I mean, this is it's like it's scene to scene within a scene. There's just no logic. The brothers, brothers are like Alan. You got to give the movie back. Like yeah. what? No, what, bro? Th- th- there's an actual line. I wrote it down. It's supposed to be like the capper to the scene. He's like, put it this way. You got to do it. <laughs> well, like, oh, okay, this thing you just said four times before that you just said put it this way. Okay. You're right. Ridiculous. The, the, but they they're sitting down watching the third man, mm-hmm. and the brothers are like, give the movie back. And Alan's like, what? No, they took the film away from me. They stole it. Don't we have a responsibility to protect the world from bad films? Without a whiff of irony Uh that this 
thoroughly unreleasable movie was released <laughs> in the theaters. Like, no fucking irony whatsoever of protecting the world from bad films. Yes. And, and they say, this movie really that bad? And he says, it's fucking terrible. It's worse than Showgirls. Right. Which, fuck you, right. man. Like, this is the thing. Like, people who think that something like Showgirls is the worst movie of all time. Like, that movie is made with a level of artistry, yeah. all right? You don't like the script. You don't like the situations. I get it. Maybe the actor, whatever. There's some artistry put into it. This is garbage. Yeah. Like, Burn Hollywood Burn is pure, fetid, fucking burning garbage. And that's Esther House saying, I see, I can laugh at myself. I, you know, I can take right? the hit. I can take the hit. But it's like, mm, yeah, no. fuck you. Uh, that movie was good because of someone else. I haven't seen it, so I, I can only go off reputation. But the other part of this is this movie's point of view is that the Alan Smithy character, the one who's saying we have to protect the world from bad movies, is the insane one. Right. Whoa. The world's backwards. And the Brothers Brothers even suggest, hey, why don't you use that pseudonym, Alan Smithy? And he's like, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> like, fuck. This is not what. What a dumb fucking They know for his movie. name by that time. Like, why are right, they? <laughs> right? How did you not put that together? So, <laughs> God damn it. So now the Brothers Brothers. <laughs> Again, like they started out being like get the movie back now they're like we're gonna go to the studio and we're gonna push we're gonna advocate for alan smithy to get final cut of his movie like that's what it is i mean like again is this like the movie's bad or is it just that like yeah he'll get final cut and final cut will make it not bad right what like what is like what is it gonna find in this movie you know what i mean like yeah there's some movies that have been destroyed by the studio taking it away and just cutting it to shreds. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, Harvey Weinstein just <laughs> did it about a thousand fucking times. What was there to be saved in Trio? That's the thing. Yeah, like, the, it the just gist seems we like get the, is that they walked over him get, the entire film. Right? What is there to final cut? What is there to save about this movie? But whatever. This is like, this is what this, eh. But the studio refuses to give a final cut. Only Kubrick and Spielberg get final cut. They even try to tempt the Brothers Brothers, make a deal with them, but they refuse the deal. They end up securing Final Cut for Smithy. Jerry, that's Ryan O'Neill, he's pissed off. He says, law and order. Law and fucking order. This is my first laugh of the movie. Sorry, I did have one laugh that was intentional in this movie. When they're trying to get the Brothers Brothers to play along, and he's like, gentlemen, gentlemen, and Chuck D gets angry and says, fuck you calling gentlemen. Like, that's what he was offended at, getting called a gentleman. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> but Smithy got final cut, and all the black filmmakers, this whole collective, they are they're MC, celebrating it. Yeah, MC For some Light, unfathomable yeah. reason. Like, who gives a fuck? Like, why would they care that he's going to get final cut on some $200 million piece of garbage, right? Right. It, but yeah, it's a win for all filmmakers, I guess. There's also this like confrontation between the Brothers Brothers and an angry black Okay, cop. this might be the worst. This has to be improv. Oh, I, I would hope so. But I mean, at the same time, it's so fucking embarrassing that I wouldn't put it past Esterhaas. I mean, anytime a woman or or a black man opens his mouth in this movie, it's it's... You're here, a really old, out of touch Hungarian dude, fucking talking. I swear to God, this scene is just like, "Hey, I'm a cop. You guys make movies where cops died. I don't like that." Okay, I liked one of them. One of them was good. The other one was shit. Okay, get the fuck out. 
Okay, I'm not going to get out. Okay, now you got to get the fuck out. Okay, we're going. And that's it. That's what that scene is. And again, as soon as the cops leave, so this happened. This wasn't the documentary. Chuck D turns his head and starts talking to the camera as if it's the documentary. <laughs> right. Oh, There's a fuck. dissolve then- do- part of the documentary where the Richard Jenny and Ryan O'Neill talking to the camera. It dissolves out, goes to the other side of the table. The brothers, brothers dissolve yep. in and yep. do it. Oh, man. But meanwhile, we cut to Alan Smithy and it's just Eric Idle in a room saying, I jumped out a bedroom window. <laughs> like that's what we chose not to shoot. We chose like <laughs> this. Like, oh fuck! This oh fucking hey. I mean, what a g- exciting thing to hear about secondhand of a secondhand. Sure. The, so Smithy, he he's he escaped. He's got the movie right. So basically, uh, the whole thing was a setup. Um, Harvey Weinstein's character, you know, sicked the cops on. The filmmakers, um, but Alan Smithy was able to get away with the movie. He says he started thinking about his garden back home. He says, thinking about my garden made me think about my life. Thinking about my life made me think about the La Brea Tar Pit. Yeah. This <laughs> <laughs> like, this is like. You can see that. This is the most sincere the movie gets. Uh, it's fucking hilarious. Ugh. So he goes to the pits and he burns the film. But we don't see it. It's it, they they we show don't. him. It's superimposed that he's in the tar pits. He sets film canisters down and then it cuts away. And he sits down. I mean, he so he has like the master print of the movie. Yeah. Even though he was kicked off of the film for whatever reason, the producers are like, "Here's the master print. Can you go take care of this one thing for us?" Lug like, these around with you. Smart. Here's the thing. One of those film cans is is like ten to twenty minutes of a fucking movie. He has two of them. Like, what? how long is this two hundred billion dollar action movie? It's only two reels, really. And it wasn't it wasn't done being cut, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> what does he even have? What does he, he have? Has the one day of them saying, "Don't fuck Just with like, us." Have him like lugging around ten, 10 of those fucking things at all time. Oh fuck! What a dumb fucking movie. But yeah, he burns the film. He burned it. He burned it. Oh my god, he was worse than the Unabomber, Roberto Alomar, and Bob Dole combined. Holy fuck! Yeah, you want to talk about like, a trifecta that's just of the like, 90s. right? Like you just like had an algorithm that was just like just spit out '90s pop culture references oh for god, me. Okay. Yeah. He was worse than the Unabomber, Roberto Alomar, and Bob Dole combined. <laughs> he is John Rocker, Dan Quayle. He was Bogdanovich and Chimino. Mm. He was Cliff Robertson and Mark Furman. What? What? So I was trying to. I th- had to look up the Cliff Robertson. Yes. <laughs> Cliff Robertson. Uh, there was a producer, um, David Bagelman. Okay. Who was embezzling money? Uh, he wrote fake checks and forged names, and uh, Cliff Robertson's name ah. was one of those. This is how it was all found out. The IRS actually like alerted him, like, "Hey, where'd this ten thousand dollars go?" Um, and Robertson actually talked and named names and talked to the press and stuff, so he felt that he was effectively blacklisted. Interesting. Um, okay. David Bagelman was treated like some sort of abused um, party, but I didn't know that happened to Charlie. Good old Charlie, but he was back. He was, he was Ben Parker, and then he dared us let there be light. Yeah, amazing stuff. Uh, he was Cliff Robertson and Mark Furman. He was OJ. 
He was Mark Furman and OJ. Damn. Um, Yeah, lots of OJ references. A ton. Lots of OJ. So much so that we bring in fucking one of his lawyers as a superhero. Robert Shapiro gets hero music. Everyone wants his autograph. I mean, who gives a fuck? He becomes Alan's lawyer because apparently there are Alan Smithy fan clubs forming all over the country. Everyone's just so happy that he burned this fucking movie. Right. That there's like, why? Nobody knows why? where he is. He's like D.B. Cooper now. Why? Mm, yeah. Um, effectively, he's just let off let off the hook. Um, we get a Dominic Dunn cameo. He's upset because there's no trial. Want to talk about not trial. an actor? Woo. No. Yikes, Udi. There's um, a there's another escort named Aloe Vera who yeah. is an ex of Ryan O'Neill's character. Like at the end, there was they cut out like one of the actual funny bits. Her talking mm. head thing where she's walking across the beach where moment by moment was shot. In the end credits where they're showing outtakes, do you see that where she ends, she stops, turns around, and flashes Ryan O'Neill, who's standing out on his right. stomach. Like, that would have been an actual funny capper to that walking, uh, talking head scene. They, no sense of comedic timing. They cut that part out. <laughs> so that's it, right? The movie's been burned. Yeah. The thing that we were told was going to happen in the first five minutes of the movie happened. Uh, no surprises there. Don't you love it when a movie just, uh, just keeps lays fucking going? But Evans, oh, Evans decides. You know, Alan Smithy, this guy is the biggest name in, <laughs> I don't know why, but he's the biggest thing. So he's going to make this putz a hero and tell Smithy's life story. Ironically, because Hollywood, Jerry and James, uh, the Richard, Jenny, and Ryan O'Neill characters, they go in and they're going to make the movie. They outbid Evans for the right. For the rights, uh, Ryan O'Neill says, trio was foreplay. Smithy's life, intercourse. <laughs> Boom. It's good writing. Alan. That's Esther House magic. <laughs> Alan Smithy hears the news and he collapses. Which point we cut to his wife saying, Alan collapsed. <laughs> and this is how much the movie trusts with this. So she, his wife is like, you need to get up. You're never going to work in Hollywood. So she brokers a deal with the studio, but they demand that the brothers brothers will direct Alan Smithy's life story. This is where we get a Billy Barty cameo, which completes the link to Rabbit Test in a really fun sort of a way. Just kidding. Fuck. Uh, and the Alan Smithy credit we find now means more than Tom Cruise or Jim Carrey. And for some reason, Eric Idle lets out a Tarzan yell? Yeah. What? And he has a stick back, which means he ran into Stagger Lee again somewhere. <laughs> Why do we care about this person's redemption? Are we supposed to care about this person's redemption? And the Tarzan Are we supposed to Like, what is that? What is any of this? What the fuck is any of this? Um, finally, Ryan O'Neill puts a gun to his head. He squeezes the trigger, but no bullet comes out, so he shrugs his shoulders. Hilarious. The end, except for dot, dot, dot. Bloops. Outtakes and bloopers. Not really. Not really bloopers. bloopers. No, just outtakes. Well, just, I mean, no surer a sign of desperation than outtakes and bloopers in the closing credits. It was like, we really didn't feel what you got <laughs> between the credits was very funny. Mm-mm. So, like, here's a little extra funny. Maybe you'll like some of this. I don't know. You know, it's like, this is like a real desperate move. So, we get this scene between Arthur Hiller. Yes. And Joe Esterhaas. Right. 
sending up Esther Haas. Uh, my dinner with cool. Arthur uh, type thing. Peter Bart cameo. Who doesn't love a Peter Bart cameo? Also, these these outtakes are Esther House like shitting on people, like making showing Slice Alone doing Planet Hollywood business during in the middle of a take. Oh right, you yeah. Know? Um, like he's really being a dick even here. Yeah, for some reason he shits on Brian De Palma and Mission Impossible. Yep. yep. Like, what do you like? A, a impeccably crafted thriller. Um, your movie looks like garbage. How the fuck could you possibly ever fucking shit on De Palma? And yes, uh, there's one where he's uh, Stallone's yelling something at you know his assistant manager over at the Planet Hollywood. There's also one time where. He just kind of flubs a line a little bit. Yeah, they make him, do- and then does it. There's not really even a. That's not even an outtake. You know what I mean? It's like, I think they were just like, we need to document the one time Stallone did a second take. Yeah, <laughs> like we got it. It's here. We, like you can't say this man did no second takes because there it is. And even we, the direction is not that good. They're like, say the second line again, but don't like they they say like don't conjoin it or something like that. Like, oh, what what am I supposed to take from that? What is yeah? What <laughs> God? Oh, and then eventually, eventually, praise Jesus. Let there be light. The movie fucking ends. Quirky. That is it. It's called an Alan Smithy film. Colon burn Hollywood burn. Anything you wanted to add before we wrap it up and give our burn rating? Hollywood burn is the title of a fantastic Public Enemy song featuring yep. uh, Ice Cube and Big Daddy Kane. Talks yep. about. Uh, the way Hollywood t- tackles um, black subjects and uh, African Americans in general. I, listen to that a million times before you ever watch this movie. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's something we didn't talk about too much, but boy, the racial politics in here mm-hmm. are, are pretty fucking appalling and pandering um, by again, a very old and out of touch. The, uh, yeah. Another way man. you can tell he's out of touch is like fight the power and can't trust it are just blaring over right. scenes where it's supposed to be like, okay, this is rage. This is the, the black filmmakers are just like, these are just scenes of people talking straight to the camera <laughs> still, but now you're just pumping PE music over it. Ridiculous. All right, let's remind everybody about our rating system. Run of the mill bad film, we'll give it a dare. Next level bad, it's a double dare. A movie we actually like, reverse dare, quirky. An Alan Smithy film, burn, Hollywood burn. What do you give it? Well, this movie got me thinking about my garden which got me thinking about my life, which got me thinking about how there's a finite amount of time in it and that I spent too much of it watching this horrible, horrible excuse for a movie. Um, Again, I I know it probably sounds like contradictory to say, but I'm a fan of nonlinear storytelling. I'm a fan Mm. of, of unreliable narrators. I'm a fan of unlikable people in films, centered on the films. Great, all that shit. But do it effectively. Do it effectively. Is this the story of how Hollywood mistreats actual artists? It seemed to be kind of wanting to say that. Or is it just a jaded man saying everything sucks and here's an awful example of it? Whatever it is, it's a double fucking dare. And the fact that this came out in the same decade as Barton Fink, which I think it was trying to do the same thing, is abominable. It is fucking terrible. Um, Double Dare. I will say, don't ever feel like you have to watch this movie. Even if you're a bad movie aficionado, you're not going to get anything from this. You really aren't. It's, it's brutal. It's, it's 
pretty much a non movie. It's I said it in the opening. It's it's the least interesting story you could possibly tell told in the least interesting way to tell a story. He didn't think it out enough to even think what the fucking message of it was other than like I don't know, burn Hollywood burn, you know what I mean? Like he just like that's it. I don't know. I really don't know. This is um it's a real fucking head scratcher of a movie of why it even exists. To me, again, it just feels like something that was like a home movie or a project or something you would make for the office that just somehow got out of hand. Uh, <laughs> they took 10 million out of petty cash and, uh, you know, no one really liked the jokes ultimately. I mean, it's just fucking a, this movie is, it's about as unfunny as unfunny can yeah. possibly get. It truly, truly is. And it's, um, pretty repellent you know especially given the presence of harvey weinstein and um you know some other people and some of the themes that it touches on as far as like young women yeah in hollywood and every woman is a bitch and a feminist right you know what i mean um they're all there for sexual gratification of the people in it like uh, and, and that's every character's point of view it really is because it's the point of view of esterhaz and mm-hmm. this movie is just esterhaz ranting at you through various characters in the movie it's fucking awful double a fucking a bloody dare mate thank you ryan for the contribution and thank you for the dare of showgirls i hope you will adorn your professor horror um mortar board uh and (laughs) cloak and sit there and watch this movie and say who's the real monster is Ooh. this is a horror movie non-parallel? Seriously, it's not a comedy. No, that's for goddamn sure. All right, that's all we have for you on this episode of Dare Daniel. We will we'll, we'll be back in two weeks to review another one of your movie dares. Until then, send those dares to us at daredaniel.com. Be sure to follow Dare Daniel Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, collectively known as Schmied. Like and rate us on all of your favorite podcast apps. And if you want to support the podcast with a lovely little donation, bump your dare up to the top of the queue. Visit daredaniel.com. Click the donate button there. Find the support the show in the menu. Either one of those will work. Slip us a little something on the street. It's all right. You know, that's how we do it. We're casual here, baby. (laughs) Corky. Yeah. You're out there. Yeah. You're doing your thing. Some people say burn Hollywood burn. I say burn on you crazy giant fuck. I don't know. What are you up to? Am I, was I burning? You bet I was. <laughs> Every day in the hot California sun. But these West Coast boys, they don't know how to do it. But I do. She was a great pair of games. <laughs> I love it's Bob like, Evans. I, I I could talk about Bob Evans all day. I love. His There's movie. a little Casey Kasem in there. Oh, there was. <laughs> Keep reaching for the stars. It did. It did drift into Casey Kasem. God damn it! Uh, I was, she writes. I was gonna try to start Bob talking Evans. about what's that. <laughs> she writes, dear Casey. <laughs> Bob Evans won't leave me alone. <laughs> I'm thinking about buying a gun. Can you recommend a caliber for me? <laughs> well, Susan. <laughs> what are you up to? What are you doing out there? Oh, just, you know, shows, shows, shows. Um, come on down to the Sacramento Comedy Spot. Have fun. Take classes.
Yeah, go out and see some shows out there, man. Yeah. Do your thing. Good stuff. All right, for Dare Daniel, I am Daniel Barnes. Oh, and I'm Corky McDonald saying, you're a Cossack, you half Cossack. I hope that's not a slur. I hope that's really not offensive. I don't know. I don't know. We love you. We're sorry.